Hey, welcome to FQ, where we talk about faith, family, and friends. I'm Jacob. And I'm George. And welcome to this week's podcast. Hey, guys, welcome to this week's podcast. It is Wednesday, January 13th. 2021 almost said 2020 <laughs> um this week Sorry. we have we have a special guest uh kurt Dubois. did i say that right well uh, i'll forgive you no <laughs> it's, it's actually dubois but dubois. You, yeah i always mix talk it up my home, talk to anybody in my hometown that knows me growing up that was dubois <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, if you want to we'll just jump right in um what do you do? What are you doing now? How did you uh, come to Christ? That kind of thing. Well, and next, well, in about two months from now, March 9th, will will be 50 years since I was born again. And Ooh-hoo. so I got, I got saved when I was negative five years old. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I got saved at 16 in the Jesus movement in uh, San Diego, California. And uh, so up to that time, I, at 16 years old, I'd already had a police record. I'd already was what, what was called the award of the award of the court, award of the state in in California, which basically meant the state owned me because I'd, I'd gotten in trouble. And rather than put me in juvenile hall, they just said you're award of the state. So from 13 to 18, I was actually uh, under probation and so forth, and and that was for you know breaking and entering and all kinds of stuff. So, but when I got saved at 16, uh, that, that, and I was in the drugs and the occult, you know, which dabbling of witchcraft and seances and all kinds of garbage like that before I got saved, I was looking for God, but like the country Western music says, I was looking for God, but in all the wrong places. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, know that. I was raised in a particular church where we had lots of stained glass windows and statues, but, uh, you know, I, I went through all the rituals, but I didn't have a relationship with God. So I knew there was a God, mm-hmm. but uh, the church that I was in was, you know, there was no power there. And so I was looking in other places. So I started digging into the occult. I started digging into parapsychology and seances and ESP and pendulums and Ouija boards and witchcraft and sundials and Buddhism and astral projection and just A to Z, I say, Astro- astrology to Zen, you know. I was trying to find God. So at 16 years of age, on March, March 9th, I finally came across the, some Jesus freaks, as we used to call them, in a place in San Diego. They met in a house, and uh, that's where I gave my life to the Lord. That's awesome. Wow. 50 so, years. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. That's, so at 16, yeah. you already had a record. Um, yeah. <laughs> like what? So what led you to that point? How did you get involved with the with the Jesus people uh, in San Diego? There, um, like, yeah. How did how did that culminate? Well, and actually, my first run in with the law was three years old. You think what in the world? Well, I got involved with some neighbor kids that were breaking into a house, and I just tagged along. So I remember. I have memories of a policeman standing over my bed giving me a lecture after I had my rear end beat. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, my, my family life was not too great. I always tell people that we, that our family invented the word dysfunction. <laughs> and so my, my mom and dad were physically fighting in front of us. You know, I mean, fisting it out, you know, hitting one another, cussing, threatening divorce. My older sister, who was 10 years older than me, so I really didn't know her that much when I was growing up, she ran off and married a hell's angel. My brother was five years older than me, and him and I, you know, got along all right, but he went into the Navy, was overseas. My dad was overseas a lot. My mom was a nurse, so she went to school at night and worked during the day. So, you know, uh, it wasn't a really great family life. And so, you know, even by the time I was 13 years old, I was already just doing things, getting into, you know, drugs and drinking and and, uh, you know, sexual things and all that stuff. And so uh, still going to church all that time, you know, like I, we were CNA Christians, Christmas and Easter, you know, so yep. do the thing Christmas <laughs> and Easter. But um, these Jesus freaks, so so leading up to that, um, because I was searching in the occult and all these things, and 
having spiritual encounters, which I can tell you there is a spiritual world out there, but I knew that the spiritual world was real, but I just didn't know how to contact, I didn't know how to contact God. So that's why I dabbled in all that stuff. And so um, I uh, was searching for God. I even tried reading the Bible on LSD. You know? <laughs> not, not a good idea. I can tell you right there, not a good idea. <laughs> also, also, don't go to Disneyland on LSD either, I can tell you that. <laughs> but I, I just hope you started with Revelations. <laughs> you know, I actually which was wrong thing to do. Because freaked me out. So, But through all of that, there was a chain of events that God set up. One is, I came across a track, one of those little chick tracks, which, you know, I don't even necessarily agree with everything the guy in theology, but there was one track called This Was Your Life, and it it got me thinking about Judgment Day and hell, you know, so that scares the you-know-what out of me. <laughs> then, on February 9th, 1971, we had a 7.1 or 7.2 earthquake that hit the Los Angeles area. Of course, in San Diego, we we got really shaken up, and there was bridges that had collapsed, and some people were killed. And I remember sitting at the dinner table, there, the breakfast bar there at my house with my parents when that hit, and it scared the fire out of me. I mean, it felt like the house was going to come down, you know. So we live out here in Oklahoma now where we have to dodge tornadoes, but earthquakes. When an earthquake hits, the whole ground shakes for hundreds of miles, and there's nowhere to run. And yeah, so we, it really scared me, you know? We, and I was used to, Go ahead. We just experienced that, what, a year ago? Almost yeah. a year ago. It was, I think, our very first podcast. The, the first week we did a podcast, there was a, <laughs> there was an earthquake, is it, is a, <laughs> a 5. tornado. 5.7, right. I think. Yeah, and wow. uh, and then the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had all that hit yeah, at the same right time. Well, that earthquake, like like you said, it it's an experience that you're like, there there's no running from it. And like we woke we woke up, and the walls were moving. And yeah, I was like, was, what in the world is happening right now? It was the <laughs> and it was the first one. I I'm from Illinois, so that was we had like some minor earthquakes there, but nothing that I ever really felt and definitely not like this. You know, you, you knew there was something happening. Yeah. And, and then the aftershocks were like yeah. four, fours and stuff and you could really feel them. Yeah. And so yeah, being raised in California, you know, we would have little ones, five, four, three, something so often, but when the seven point up hit, man, those are big. And well that, okay. So that was February 9th, 1971. And then, so how old were you at that time, like when you were uh, searching? I was just uh, getting ready to turn 16 because my birthday is on February 18th. So I was 15 there, just almost days away from 16. And so these Jesus freaks that I've seen on school campus, you know, would pass out these Hollywood free papers. They call them. They were newspapers, which was full of stories and teachings and places where you could find other people that were having meetings. And so, uh, right after this earthquake, within a couple, within a week or so, these papers are hitting the campus, and on the, on the cover of it, it showed a, a cartoon of a guy looking into this big crack in the ground, and it talked about signs of the last days, earthquakes, Jesus is coming. That really got my attention. Mm-hmm. So, in the back of that magazine, it had, or that paper, it had a, an address of a place in San Diego, which was actually in La Mesa, of a, where these Jesus freaks were meeting. So... I determined that I was going to go there. I got, I, I, well, what led up to that was, um, you know, we were, I started, <laughs> I, we went to go buy a bunch of LSD at Laguna Beach, California, which is right up the coast of San Diego. Yeah. So, um, the, the night before, uh, we went. Now, I had some experience. Like, there was one night I woke up in the middle of the night and out of my mouth, I heard myself saying, God is coming back soon. Well, that scared the fire out of me. So uh, this night we were going to go, this day we were going to buy drugs. But the night before I actually prayed, I said, God, I've heard about these Jesus freaks, right? So God, if you're real, have one of these people talk to me. So we get in this Volkswagen, five of us, and drive up to San Diego, I mean up to Laguna Beach. We go to a Taco Bell there off the old Highway 101 that's not there anymore, but that was a big hangout, right? So three of the guys go off with this uh, 
two of the guys go off with the pusher to go get the drugs, and two other guys and myself were waiting. And we're talking about hundreds of young people were around because it was a big place to buy and sell drugs. I'm sitting on the curb there by the parking lot of Taco Bell, and a little Mexican guy in a suit and tie, about you know about a hundred feet from me, he's talking to all these people, and all of a sudden it's like the crowd parted. He looks straight at me and he walks right up to me. And he kneels down and he starts witnessing to me. And he's going through this track. And then if you get to the end, he says, do you want to pray? Well, my friends are there, but I didn't want to say yes because I thought, you know, they might think I'm weird, but I didn't want to say no. So I didn't say anything. So he grabbed my hands and he prayed. And this peace came all through from the top of my head to the soles of my feet like warm honey, just this strange peace. So then he left and went and witnessed other people. Then we get our drugs, we go. So the plan was, one of my good friends and myself, we're going to take, we're going to spend the night at Torrey Pines on the beach, you know, a big golf course there. There's a beach down there in San Diego. And so we, we took a bunch, I took twice as much LSD as I'd ever taken. And we were going to wow. camp on, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to stamp the goods, you know, before we went back to sell it, right? The problem is I never got high. My friend was acting really crazy and stupid. I thought, Either he's faking it or something's really wrong here because all I could feel was that peace that was still on me and I yeah, couldn't yeah. get high. <laughs> so we, I remember I took a Bible, a little New Testament with me the night before because I, I said, if you're real, have somebody talk to me. So I must have been acting in faith and didn't even knew it. So I stuck a Bible in my pocket. So on the beach that night, I'm reading the Bible as I'm watching the sun go down. I don't remember what I read, but I knew I'm going to find these Jesus people. I'm going to give my life to Christ. So. About uh, two weeks later from that point, uh, I had more women, more drugs, and all this stuff come at me than I'd ever had. And I know it was the devil because he knew I was getting hungry for God. Yeah. So finally, one day, I was I said, I'm going to go to this Jesus freak place here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life to Christ. And then that day, my best friend's overdosing on downers. Another one's flipping out on acid. And another one stoned on something else. And so we, they all ended up over at my parents' house because they were both working. And so I'm pouring stuff down one guy to keep him from passing out. And I'm trying to keep another guy from freaking out. And I looked at all this and it looked like Animal House, right? So I went I got all my drugs off. I, I threw it out the front door and said, I'm done with this. And they all went running out fighting over it. So I said, I'm done with this. I don't care who dies tomorrow. I'm going to go to that house. I'm going to go to that Jesus people house. So the next day I did, I hitchhiked with a friend after school. We went straight there. And it was a, a biker guy with long hair. And, a, and a, I say a biker and a redneck. It, it got short hair. <laughs> redneck, two bikers and one redneck. There were three guys in this house and they were having these Bible studies. So I go in there and I say, I want to know about Jesus. And they start going through all this Roman road. And I, and it's like, I don't want, you don't need to convince me. Just what do I need to do? I need Jesus. So they, they pray for us. We got, I got saved. My friend got saved. And uh, two weeks later, got baptized in the ocean. Then that night, got baptized in the Holy Ghost. So I've been radical ever since. <laughs> awesome. Wow. That's great. Yeah, I I don't know. You would probably know, you know, more at that from that time. But um, someone had said that uh, Bob Dylan had given his life to Christ during that time through the, the Jesus movement. And I don't I know I, if that was true or. Not Bob Dylan. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Right, uh, mm. we actually went to his concert after he got saved. Now you know Bob Dylan's a Jew, right? So he yeah. he got saved, and they kept him. And I think it was Keith Green's ministry. I'm not sure, but they kept him out of the public view for a year, just so he wouldn't get you know caught up in all that. And then at about a year after that year, he, he came out and he, and he released an album. I'm trying to think what the album was called. Uh, but he had some songs in there. They're all gospel songs, all contemporary Christian music. And he actually had a concert in San Diego. So my wife and I went at that time we were married. And uh, we went to that concert. And he, and he sang all these guys. There were people smoking dope all around us. They thought I was going to be good old times with Bob Dylan. But he just sang Christian songs. And they were like, at the end of the concert, some of them were booing them, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> it was really great. Problem was, then he got he got uh, I don't know what the deal is. Uh, something happened, and he got turned off and backslid and, and turned away from Christ. And now he's just you know back like he was before. You know? So that lasted that lasted probably about a year or so where he was walking with the Lord. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I think he came out with an album recently, and it kind of to me, and I it kind of alludes to him, you know 
going coming back to to a faith, you know. Oh, um, really? And I, okay. I, um, I think it was. I think it's Bob Dylan, but I don't. But I don't know. I don't. You know, we don't really know someone's heart. I was just curious, you know, because I know that that had been said about Bob Dylan. Um, yeah, you know, was really saved through that time. So. I don't know what happened there, but he came out after that time and he said, oh, yeah, that was just a phase I was going through, right? So then he was, like, totally back to where he was, secular stuff. So I don't know where Ted's at now. I hope he's, you know, turned his heart back to the Lord. Yeah. So how did you go from, you know, being a drug-addled teen and, you know, and then – how, who discipled you from that point? You gave your life to Christ and, and now you're a Bible teacher and you teach, you know, teach all over the world. So that's, that's <laughs> quite a, a transformation. Well, you know, the, the first people that discipled me because, you know, for two years after I got saved, I didn't go to church. Um, I mean, I came out of the Catholic church, but I didn't go mm-hmm. to any church. The only fellowship I had was those guys at that house. They had Thursday night Bible study. And then we'd go to other house meetings around the city, and sometimes church would have a special speaker who would go there. But these guys were really responsible for getting me on my feet because I'd meet with them every morning for prayer. Um, and, uh, you know, when I had questions as a young believer about drugs or sex or this or that, you know, they would, I would go to them. Thank God I never, I never went back into that world. I never went back into the drugs and all that. Uh, but, uh, you know, as a young believer, you, you come in a brand new lifestyle. So, these guys helped me, and actually, one of them is in heaven. The guy that actually, you know, one of the guys that prayed with me is actually in heaven now. But the two of them are still around, and they're still living in San Diego. We still keep in contact on Facebook. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's great. Yeah, they they helped me feet on the ground. As a matter of fact, the very first, I knew from the minute I was saved that I wanted to go around the world and just teach the word and share share with people. And so um, it was probably just a couple of months or so after I saved, I asked them, because they would let different people teach Bible lessons. And I said, can I, can I teach, you know? And they said, okay. So what was, since I came out of the lifestyle, I came out of the thing that's been on one of the themes, main things of my ministry and my message has been the authority of the believer. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I was studying C.S. Lovett and some other things at that time about, you know, authority, power of the devil. And I wanted, my first message was that, you know, power over the devil. And I, and I, and I sat on a piano bench and, you know, one of the guys was on one side and the other guy's on the other side. And I'm trying to teach, you know, I'm mispronouncing, you know, I called Galatians, Galatians and Corinthians, (laughs) called Corinthians. And, you know, I was, and people were laughing and they're going, that's okay. That's okay. You know, let them go, you know. And so uh, I did the best I could, which is probably not very memorable. (laughs) But that was my first message was on the authority over the devil that Christ gave us, that he defeated the devil and how we resist the devil and all that. And then from there, you know, just more opportunities came. Street, Of course, we always did street ministry, going out to the beaches and the streets and, and uh, you know, juvenile hall, that kind of stuff, and share the gospel, share with people. And uh, and then more opportunities to share Bible studies. And, and from there, you know, it just continued to grow. I've always, I just had a burning in my heart that, that I need to share the word, you know? Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. So before we started, you said you've been to 60? 50? Countries? Uh, so I haven't got the, it's over 60 countries now. I'm not sure exactly, 61, 2, 3, or something like that. Um, so my very first country was, and listen, my brother was, he got saved in the Navy. And so he went to YWAM and OM, Oper, Oper, Operation Mobilization. So he was going around the boat of the world on these, ships, you know, and he'd go to Muslim countries and this and that. He'd come back and tell me all the things they're doing. And so he was always the one that was geared towards Christians. Uh, I didn't really necessarily have a desire to go overseas. I just knew I just wanted to go share with people, go around the world or whatever. But, but the interesting thing is that, uh, oh, back in 1986, um, Kathy Caminetti, you might know, who yeah. was. Mm-hmm. We got married with Kathy Beerman, but we had a Christmas party across from our house, and we all were there, and she was there. And to make a long story short, we we somebody had the great idea to pray before that we all went home, so it turned into a prayer meeting. And then she all of a sudden calls me out and has a word for me, and she says, "Your vision's too small. God has a bigger vision, you know." And basically, God was telling me, "I'm waiting on you." 
And I was sitting around waiting on God, you know, <laughs> but uh, I got that word. It's like, okay, God, then if, if that's, the, if that's what's going on here, then I'm just going to go. And if you don't want me to go, you better stop. Me. Well, I've been going ever since, you know, my, my wife and I, and in, in 1979, the year we were married, um, we actually went to um, Trinidad for three weeks with a, a, a two weeks with another couple and minister. That was our first overseas. You know, I'd been I'd done stuff in Mexico as a single when I was in the Jesus movement, um, but that was the first overseas in '79. But '79 to '87, nothing. I was waiting for God, and then in '86, December of Christmas party, God gets on my case, and so I said, "Okay, well, I'm going to go, and if you don't want me to go, you better stop me." Well, so in '87. <laughs> Somebody evangelist said, you want to go to Pakistan with me? I said, yes. I had no desire to go to Pakistan. I didn't even want to go to Pakistan. <laughs> my brother would go to tell me all these horror stories of trying to witness the Muslims. And I thought, well, I'll never go there because I'm going to go where people are hungry. Right? But after God dealt with me, I, the first thing that came up, you want to go to Pakistan? Yeah. I didn't even pray about it because I knew that. <laughs> so we went over there for three weeks. We did crusades. He would have 10, 15,000 or whatever at night. I would have the day service, five, six, seven thousand. And, uh, um, people were getting saved, healed, delivered, and demons were being cast out. And I thought, this ain't so hard to witness the Muslims. You know, and the signs <laughs> of winters are flowing, then it's easy. But from 1987 to this day, every year I've gone overseas one, two, three, or four times. And, uh, only a handful of times, maybe four times that God ever stopped me from going somewhere. He said, no. And there was usually like this year, I was, I was supposed to be back in Mongolia for my fourth time. But at the, last year in December, not, I mean, in 2019, uh, I was supposed to be there in 2020. So in 2019, it's like, he said, no. So I said, I don't, I, I don't feel God wants me to go. Well, of course COVID broke out and, and, uh, you know, we wouldn't have been able to get in there if we wanted to. Actually, I was in Zambia when COVID hit with a team from Rama, and uh, we, that was a whole miracle how we got out of there because all the flights were shutting down, the borders were closing, and it, you know, <laughs> God totally got us out of there on, on the last flight out of South Africa. So it was amazing. Yeah, I know someone that was stuck in Peru for a little bit because of the COVID when COVID broke out. Went there yeah, before someone, anything was happening, and then while they were there, the, you know, they started shutting things down. Yeah. Um, but she, you know, and I think the, let's say the government ended up paying for their flight back or something like that, you know, to get them back. But, uh, that was just crazy there, you know, like, so yeah. I couldn't imagine being stuck in Mongolia. Zambia is where we're at. Well, yeah, oh, so, Zambia. But we Getting to Mongolia, they completely shut down right after we got back, so. Yeah. Wow, but so I haven't uh, since last March. I haven't been out of the country, but it's been a time for other things, like a time of increasing in prayer, uh, you know, getting some um, things done with my books, getting the audible audible books done finally on my book, and um, just so it was sort of like you know, when Paul went to prison, he was able to write the New Testament. If he never got thrown in jail, he probably would have never wrote it. Yeah, right. <laughs> um. so, okay. So this turned out to be a blessing because I got able to, I was able to get a lot of things done and, and stuff. So I'll uh, be cranking up some international stuff later this year. But right now we've been doing stuff locally, you know, just going around different cities and stuff. Yeah. Have you been? You said you've been um, doing some teaching on online though. Um, yeah, I taught uh, twice, twice, two different seminars, seminar, and then a class in Singapore, and then uh, I did a class in Ukraine. And I'll be teaching an online course in Ethiopia coming up here. I got to actually that one's going to be pre-recorded, so I got to get 20 hours ready to send them. So uh, yeah, you know, God's opened up some opportunities to do that. So we're still touching the world, even though we're stuck here in Oklahoma. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I really think that you know God's been using this time for all of his his followers to be looking for different ways to spread the gospel and instead of just inside the four walls of the church, really people have had to think differently with, with how ministry is done. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you're seeing that. And you said that you've been able to um, also work on a book on your book and do an audio book. So could you tell us a little yeah. bit about, uh, about that book? Yep. Well, yeah, that's my third book. Um, actually I have my very first book I ever wrote is 
successful in a mini book, Understanding the New Covenant, which I recently re-edited and revised and made it a slimline book. And that's that was written back in the 90s. This is about the difference between the righteousness of the law versus the righteousness of faith. And coming out of the background I came out of, I, I learned a lot about penance, but I didn't understand repentance and how, you know, the difference between the new covenant is mm-hmm. the righteousness. Yep. But then the, then the second book I wrote was uh, this one, Through the Blood and Through the Flood. And that has to do with, uh, well, on the back where I talk about how many people are sitting around waiting to try to get their life together and be perfect before they do anything for God. But God wants to use you now. And that it's a journey that he He, he redeemed us. He, he cut us off from the past. And, and on this journey, he uses us, not waiting till we get to some point of perfection. But he uses us along the journey, so that's what this book's about. It's a redemptive reality book. Yeah. Through the blood and blood. You know, it talks about they came out of Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, that was putting their past behind them. And so, uh, but the latest one is, I told you that my theme of the, my life has been the authority of the believer. And this is a book that, that really God has put on my case to get out for years. And I finally, uh, a couple of years ago, um, I was actually, had, I got sick so I had to stay home I wasn't really feeling that bad but I couldn't go to work so it turned out that that's when I just spent all that time finally putting it together and so uh, this was uh, under, uh, in my name understanding the believer's authority over the power of darkness that's so awesome. it's really I've taught this around the world in different countries and I finally you know people always say you have a book you have any CDs and I finally got put it together in book form and so now it's on it's on Kindle it's, and then I got it on audio books. It's on two audio book sites now. I'm uploading the final files for Audible so they can put it on Audible sites. But it's going to starting to populate on some of the different audio book sites out there. Oh, that's awesome. Cool, cool. I have a question for you. So I've heard yeah. from, like, different preachers or pastors or people who say, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they, they call themselves like demonologists where they're breaking down what a demon is or whatever. Um, they're always saying like, so your book's about, uh, your last book, what what it, it's uh, about like, I, I guess for the lack authority, of yeah, the authority. The authority that of, believers have. Against like the devil and stuff like that, correct? Am I? Am right. I, and uh, a lot of times what I've heard, and I I, I grew up with, <laughs> with faith of just like, I don't, I don't need to have, these like ducks in a row, but I'm sure that there's listeners that have heard that from other people that, Oh, you, you have to be so perfect in this moment, or you have to bless your whole house before you do any of this, like before you go to battle. But I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't remember Paul don't being remember. like, let me go right. back to my hut and <laughs> go, go, go put blood all over the, the mantle and all that before doing it. But what would you say to those, those people that I guess well, think that way? You know, Brother Hagen, Kenneth Hagen used to say that certain doctrines make cycles. They come around every 20 years or so. And I have to say that's true because back in the Jesus movement, there was these, what I would call extreme deliverance ministries going around yeah. and uh, in, the, in, the, in the 70s and so forth. And, and they're, they're doing it today, too. And so basically they, have, they may have different names, but it's the same kind of deal where they teach that every Christian has a demon. So you got to, you know, I heard somebody tell me not just several weeks back that oh yeah this guy cast demons out of himself several times it's like really if that's the case then there's a problem there yeah but, uh, <laughs> here's the here's the best answer to that stick with the bible yeah and look at the way jesus and the disciples cast out devils and stick with that yeah I don't see anywhere in there where they spent 24 hours trying to cast a devil out of somebody. I don't see anywhere in there where they had long conversations with demons. Jesus, his conversation with demons was very short. Shut mm-hmm. up, come out. Yeah. Only once did he ask for a name. He said, come out of him, and then he, and they didn't want to. He said, what's your name? He said, now go. And so it was a very short conversation. People put more emphasis on the devil, and when you magnify the devil, you're putting faith in the devil's power. And so some Christians are superstitious, and they think the devil has more power than God. And it's like, they're afraid to talk about it, this or that. And it's like, that is faith in the devil. Yeah. And Alan mm-hmm. Wigglesworth said, if you fear God, you won't fear man, and you won't fear the devil. Yeah. 
And and like, for instance, um, <laughs> I I was a police officer in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I've told this story before, but like that's like because somebody tried to correct me <laughs> on it, but they're like, you shouldn't say shut up because that's rude. I was like, I was talking to a demon, <laughs> like I wasn't talking to to like the person, but right. like I told the guy, I said in Jesus' name, shut up, and he shut up, and then I was all in Jesus' name, go, <laughs> and that's it. That that was as crazy as it got. The guy was like, oh, what happened? And, like, it's a little bit longer where at first he tried to stay around a little bit because he he said, like, this whole thing of, did I not entertain you? And and I've kind of heard, and I don't know how you feel about this, but demons want an audience, like, to show off. And, man, sometimes Christians, without realizing it, are giving them the attention they want. Mm -hmm. Lester Summerall was, you know, well known for dealing with demons. And he would never, he said, I never allow them to manifest in my meetings. If they start manifesting, I tell them to shut up. Yep. <laughs> and yet, in these deliverance meetings that we hear about today, they thrive on manifestations of demons. They want to see that stuff happen. That's wrong. Yeah. We should, we should want to see the manifestation of the presence of God. Then those things are going to run for cover. Yeah. And so, you know, I talk about in the book here about an experience in Smith Wigglesworth's book that he went to, he was called to go pray for a girl that had a, a demon. And uh, it was a young girl. And there were several of these men that were holding her down on the bed. When he walked into the room, she threw all of them off. I mean, supernatural demonic power threw these grown men off of her. And she came running up to Wigglesworth, cussing at him, cursing him out. And he looked at her and said, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And then he turned around and started walking out the door. And he, and this woman is following him, cursing him. Come, And he gets to the door, he opens the door, and he turns around and says, I said, come out. He goes out and shuts the door. Well, I wouldn't want to have been those men that were still in the room. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, she was delivered within an hour the demon had left her. Now, why did those four, five, six men, however many it was, why didn't they get the job done? Because they didn't believe in the authority what they had. They were just they were hope they were you know having a tug of war with the devil and come out and this and that and you know, but no faith. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. here's what we learned from that story: it was faith in the name, not their screaming, shouting, and taunting and arguing with the devil. Yeah. You didn't tell us to do that. He said you cast them out. And remember, there was one they couldn't. They said, how come we couldn't cast them out? And his answer, the first thing he said was, because of your unbelief. Mm-hmm. And then he said, this time comes out by prayer and fasting. Well, well, think about it. If their unbelief was the problem, then prayer and fasting wasn't to get the devil out. It was to get them in the place where they could operate in faith. Yeah. That makes so, perfect sense. Like, I've yeah. heard that so many times. That the Well, this one only comes out by prayer and fasting. And... And and people think well, do think that well that's they're talking about the the demon you know or whatever you're praying against that you need to pray and fast for. But I I really like how you said that there that it wasn't a, it wasn't anything really about the demon. It was about them getting themselves in the in the right place. Is that they're operating in faith? The demon absolutely. See, Wigglesworth understood that. And that's that's like covering this book that our authority and stuff. He understood when I give the command, it's going. It doesn't. I'm not waiting to see what it does. Yeah. I've, I've given the orders. Now I'm leaving. I got other things to do. That thing has to leave. And it was the faith in the word that worked. The thing had no choice but to leave. Yeah. Now I had a couple of Rama teams in India years in the early 2000s. We took some different teams over there, and, and we'd send these out in the, you know small groups of four or five to different villages. And I would tell him, I said, now listen, you're probably going to run into some demons. And so this is what I want you to do. You know, who, when you, if somebody starts manifesting and while you're preaching or ministering, don't everybody go around, get around them and lay hands on them and start shouting in tongues and all this. I said, one person, take charge. The rest of you just quietly pray in the spirit and back them up. But one person, whoever you want, whoever it is, pick the one that you want to do it. That person takes authority. You speak the command of faith, and then you that's where you stand. Now, I think, did I lose the connection? Nope. No, no, no. We're here. Okay. Video stuff. So, um, and you know what? We had like four or five of the teams come back, and they said, it happened exactly like you said. When 
when we were preaching or whatever we we're doing, this woman or this person fell down and started crawling like a snake, and, and one of us went up and took authority, and they were all delivered in every case. And then yeah. in the last meeting, I had we had the same thing. A woman rolled her eyes back in her head, fell on the floor, and started squirming like a snake, and all the locals wanted to get around and start shouting and stuff. And I just said, I just went in there and took authority, come out in the name of Jesus, and that was it. Because once the word is given, the order from heaven has been given. And we have to believe what the Bible says. Yep. And what's your what's the name of your book again? It's called In My Name. Okay. And uh, they, can get it, they can go to my website, H-I-M.org, and get the physical one, or they can get it off Kindle or Amazon if they want. They can get the Kindle version off Amazon, and they can get the audible versions, which... Uh, audiobook.com is one. It's also on uh, Kobo.com, and, and we're working on getting up there on Audible here very soon. That's awesome. Cool. I I definitely am more of a physical book guy. <laughs> <That's> yeah. <just> a... <laughs> I can buy them, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you you ended up – how did you end up at Rayma? Are you still with Rayma? I just – I, yeah, I forgot yeah. to ask you. Okay. I've been there, uh, well, 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 coming up here in May, it will have been uh, 39 years. Wow. Wow. So I've uh, been teaching there for like 20-something, you know, uh, since 99, whatever that is. <laughs> and involved uh, in the church, you know, in the early days where we were school of the Bible teachers and teaching in the school now for over 20, what, 21 years, I think it is. So, um, um God just opened that door. Uh, you know, I've been going out and ministering and do other stuff anyway, but then God, you know, I could never leave Rama. Like people wanted me to leave. Why aren't you gone? Why aren't you out there doing your own ministry? But it's like, no, God never gave me release to leave. And then pretty soon uh, the door opened up to start teaching. Then the door opened up to start getting involved doing healing school. Then the door opened up to start taking missions teams with the students. And so I've been doing that as well as teaching for, for all these years now. So uh, it's been great. How has uh, COVID affected Rayma? Are you guys still doing school? or? Yep, we're in school. We have an in-class going on. We just registered this week. Uh, today, actually, is, uh, we're in the middle of orientation for the what we call the spring intake, so more students come in in January. So um, uh, we took a very slight hit, but I was surprised it wasn't. We didn't lose hardly any from what we had last year. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, we have, we have protocol we have to go through, you know, to, to take the temperature and wear masks in the hallways, but you can sit in class without, without it. And, and, uh, you know, so things are going good. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah here in right. Utah, it's a, it's a little bit more open than, <laughs> than other places. Yeah. yeah. Thank God. Thank God we're in Oklahoma, not in California. Yeah, for sure. That's why we're <laughs> yeah. like, uh, cause we get students from California that, that live with us. And yeah. they tell us, like, we went to, it's my birthday a few days ago, we took a girl to eat at a restaurant, and she goes, I haven't been to one of these in a year. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, wow. welcome to Utah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I tell California. Yeah, hey, come out here where there's freedom, but leave your California thinking behind. Come out here where we're free. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, you've written three books. You've been at Rama. You've traveled to over sixty countries. Um, so, what's next? Well, good question. You know, like uh, this year with not going overseas much, it's given me a chance to get some things, you know, lined up. And uh, been doing some radio interviews. And, and uh, actually, right before COVID hit, I had some couple of TV stations lined up to go in there and talk about my book. But since all that hit, we have to reschedule all that. I still plan on hitting the road again, going overseas as soon as we can, um, and uh, and then I turn right in the states and and uh, keep on going that way and whatever else the Lord has for us. That's awesome. I I so I do have a question uh, because you said it's kind of like a cycle where things come around and stuff, and so something new that probably isn't new, uh, which I never paid attention to is this new group of Christians called progressive Christians. Have you heard about them? Yeah. Well, tell me what your, what your thoughts are. I mean, <laughs> so, okay. so well, you, we uh, used to call them liberal back in the day. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something. On Facebook, is a, you can see all kinds of stuff on Facebook. Yeah. 
Usually, usually a lot of this stuff was kept in the corner, but now on Facebook or social media, every crazy has a worldwide audience. So yeah. mm-hmm. all these false crazy doctrines are propagating everywhere. But uh, let me just tell you specifically, there's a group of so-called liberal Christians, progressive Christians, which is actually a group that's funded by a guy named George Soros. You heard of him? Yeah. Oh. George Soros? Right. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, he's a billionaire. Yeah. Liberal, okay. Black Lives Matter, and uh, Antifa, and all that. He's he's into social engineering, trying to interfere with different nations. He's not liked by, by, by a lot of nations, but he, he meddles. He meddles in our elections and all that stuff. So um, he has seen the political force and the influence that the church has in America. So what he's tried to do, he's funded these groups of progressive, so-called liberal Christians, liberal evangelicals, they call them which are supposed to be pro-abortion, pro-gay, all this stuff that's anti-biblical. But they're supposed to be Christians that are all into this stuff. And what they're trying to do is create a false narrative like this. Oh, we can be Christians and have all this stuff, too. Don't believe it. It's a lie. A lot of them are fake. They're not even real. Others are just deceived. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's, like, (laughs) the Internet has been uh, good for for us in a lot of ways. Cause uh, I think maybe I talked to you a little bit, like some of the guests we found have been on TikTok, which is like the video app thing. And uh, it's been really good, but also like, I didn't know what a progressive Christian was <laughs> and that's how I figured it out because a lot of it was um, like, there was a, a homosexual guy who was like, Oh, I'm a pastor and I know better than anybody. The Greek doesn't say anything. And then I was like, uh, me and George talk about this, but like that stuff actually makes me read my Bible more and like yep. fact check these. And I'm all, man, how do you get that so wrong? <laughs> Cause yeah. I'm all, it doesn't, it doesn't read that way. There's no way to read it wrong. It, it literally says what it says. And well, then one, yeah, one of those guys who's well known trying to tell us what the Hebrew about says uh, that it, it refers to young boys and not and, uh, you know, I've been studying Hebrew for seven, eight plus years now. I took a couple of Hebrew courses at Hebrew University. And I went and looked up that word. It's not the word that he was saying. It's not the weird word for young boy. It's the word for men. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. supposed to play with another man like you do a woman, you know. So it's very plain. So, yeah, they twist the scriptures around. Like, like Peter said, they twist the scriptures for their own destruction. Why? They've got to make an excuse for their sin. And the only way they can do that, if they're going to say they believe in God, the only way they can make an excuse for their sin is to rewrite the Bible or to yeah. reinterpret it so they can get an okay from God. But the problem is you don't get an okay from God and it's, and it's deception. It's wrong and it will kill you. You know, yeah. your, your beliefs can kill you or heal you. They, you know, your beliefs can, can cause you to live a lifestyle that's going to lead to destruction or the other way to victory and eternal life. Yep. Uh, one of the most interesting things that <laughs> I heard. So we make videos on there too, just to talk about Jesus and God and uh, promote what the Bible says. And uh, so something that's interesting with it is you can like stitch their thing where you cut a piece of what they said and then like comment on it kind of thing. And it yeah. leads back to them. Like, so I figured a way how to do it where I could put the video out but cut them out so you don't even know who who they are. So I have no leeways back to them because I was thinking, I was like, me and another guy who do, he does a lot. And I was like, um, he was like, I feel like we're adding to their numbers because they're getting more views and stuff because people will click and be like, oh, what'd they say? And yeah. so he's like, we're adding to it. So I was all, how about we just cut them out? And he goes, well, how do we do that? And I was like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. And so I figured it out last night and, uh, I did a video and there's a, a literal Satan worshiper saying, Hey, progressive Christians are awesome. They welcome me with open arms and they know the true word of God and everybody else is lying. And I go, yeah. no. <laughs> and I, I think <laughs> I went to, uh, the verse that talks about, Oh, they'll, they'll hear, they don't want to hear sound doctrine. They want to, just take what whatever their itching ears want to hear hear. and uh somebody commented and they're like well that's what all christians do and i go 
hey man, I read that straight from the Bible. I was, I was literally holding the Bible in my hand. <laughs> That's all. Right. There was there was no interpretation. That was that was the well, Bible. <laughs> now is the time for Christians to speak a strong, steady word in love, but without compromise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to push back. We can't just let this stuff go on. We need to stand up and push back with the love of God, but with the firmness of the word. And read the scriptures. Read First Timothy chapter four and Second Timothy chapter three. You know the doctrines yeah. of devils, last days, all that stuff. And uh, and and then you know, faith comes by hearing the word. So the more we keep preaching the word, the sad thing is Barna or Pew Research did a, a poll on on millennial Christians, and I'm yeah. the numbers right, but it was in the single digits of Americans that of Christians in America. It was like six percent or sixteen percent. I don't remember, but that actually believe in biblical values. And these are supposed to be Christians. Wow. Yeah. Tells me that we haven't been teaching the word. What have people been teaching in their churches? You know, feel good messages and how to be successful in life and how to, how to feel good and how to, how to overcome your depression. What about preaching the solid word of God? Because there is a heaven, there is a hell and there is coming a judgment day and there is coming a, a, a tribulation period. There is coming destruction on the earth and people need to have get ready yeah. but i tell you right now is a prime we have prime opportunity right now because of this covid thing uh people are scared and because of what's going on with the election and all that people are scared people are asking how do i find god now's the time for us to speak up and tell it to like it is they need to hear a straight word they don't need to hear a bunch of mamby family junk yep <laughs> yeah i was i was reading something the other day that was um talking about like the millennial Christians that they don't want the pastor up there that looks cool and has the skinny jeans and, you know, is the, the rock star, you know, they, they, uh, they want someone that's going to speak solid biblical truth and not just, you know, yeah. You know, when I give them an experience, when I see somebody pushing the skinny jeans and smoke machines, you know who it usually is? The 38, 40-year-olds who yeah. think it's cool. Yeah. But the younger generation, they don't care about your smoke machine or your fancy lights. They want to see what's real. That's what got... See, when I was in the occult and all that witchcraft and all that junk, I was looking for real. Yeah. That's why yeah. I got called. Because the church that I was raised in did not have the power of God. And so I was looking for God. So I wasn't trying to fight against God. I just wanted to know, where's the real God? Yeah. And so now that I found that Jesus Christ is alive and well, still does miracles and heals and has power over the devil, you know, but our our modern churches, even charismatic and even word of faith churches, have become what the church was when I was young. And a lot of times they're just teaching places with no power, no demonstration, no gifts of the Spirit. And people have to have contact with God. They don't want those sit and be entertained. They can do that on TV. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they want to have, if you're going to go to church, you want to experience God. You want to be in his presence and you want to hear something that's going to change your life, not just pat you on the back and say, oh, you're nice, you're cool, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and people, and that... don't, people don't want to be entertained. They want to be participate. And most of our, much of our worship services are nothing but rock concerts. Yeah. Blasting, out, blasting the people out of their pews and you, they can't even hear themselves sing, but People want to just come together, and some of the most powerful meetings I've been in, believe it or not, you just get a guitar or sing a cappella, and just everybody's worshiping with their own voice, and the power of God falls. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That what's funny is, uh, do do you know the band Skillet? I've the, heard of them. The Christian band, yeah. So the their lead singer, I like, I like them. But I like him even no, <laughs> more now because all he's doing is preaching the Bible right now because they're not able to to go on tours either, really. And so right. he's just talking about politics, but also just about straight God. Like He's like, he's all, this is it. And if you're mad at me and don't want to listen to our music anymore, I don't care. <laughs> he, goes, <laughs> he goes, this is what the Bible says, people. And like that's what he's doing. And he even was like, he wrote a whole article that like a news company picked up that he was like, your youth pastor, wow. I mean, your pastor shouldn't be cool. And he's talking about skinny jeans, yeah. awesome lights, and you look awesome and all that, that same thing. And he goes, yep. he goes, 
they just need God. He goes, they don't need you to be cool. Your job's not to be cool as a pastor. You can be the lamest guy ever, but you're bringing the word. They're going to love it. That's like parents, you know. Parents sometimes, like, try to become friends with their children. It's like, the children don't need you to be their friend. They need you to be their parent and help them and teach them and show them what the way to go, you know? Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't be, try to be cool with your kids. Be a parent to them. That's what they need. They need that support. And it's the same with pastors. Don't try to don't try to fit in and you know, funky jeans and all that. I mean if that's your style, great, but if you're just trying to, you know <laughs> but, dear Lord, we need some reality, you know? Yeah. Jesus yeah. Is- <laughs> <laughs> I I definitely probably probably made our uh, when I was a youth pastor in Ohio, probably made our pastor a little bit annoyed because I'd wear shorts all the time. And I'm like, that's what I'm comfortable in. I, it's not to be cool, it's just how I feel. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, in this movement, we didn't have a dress code, really. <laughs> and I had hair down to my shoulders, you know, and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So, so how did, that, like, going walked, from going you know, talking about, about hair down to your shoulders, I, going I back walking. to your, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. But going back to when you had the long hair, <laughs> uh, how did you go from, like, getting saved at 16 and then did you go to like, how long was it before you went to Bible college and, you know, um, started getting really involved in the ministry? Well, see, I never really had this like epiphany where God said, I'm calling you to the ministry. Once <laughs> I got saved, that's what we did in the Jesus movement. Like, Hey, you know, Jesus, now go tell somebody else. And so we just go out on the streets, on the beach, whatever. So I never had this thing of, oh, I feel called to the ministry. Matter of fact, two years after being saved, the Lord led me into a Southern Baptist church because I needed to get some basic Bible training mm-hmm. just from the normal salvation stuff. And I, and I was like walking into another planet because, you know, I came into a church situation where now these young people were carnal as all get up. <laughs> and every time an evangelist would come in, they'd run to the altar and repent and rededicate their lives and and they're out there in the parking lot, you know, doing the smoking and the drinking and the, in the back seat with the girls. And so it's like there was no distinction between them and the world. It's like I came out of that stuff. I'm thinking, what's the matter with you guys? <laughs> because that, it was just a whole different ball game. But um, uh, so I had the I didn't have this concept of okay, some people are spiritual and they go into ministry. Other people are just nominal Christians. To me, it's like you're all on fire. You know, that's yeah. just that's the only Christianity there is. You're on fire. And so. Uh, I began to just hunger, study, read, read lots of books, study, and and take, you know go to lots of different meetings and, and seminars and just you know uh, soak it up. But I enrolled in the Assemblies of God school when I was in San Diego, and then I came out to Rama. And then uh, in 1989, I started Rama after I'd been working there seven years. And so, and but but even since then, I mean, it's just continual, just trying to learn and grow. And, you know, I just finished last year. I finished up five courses, online courses with Hebrew University, and uh, boy, that was a that was a load of work. But <laughs> there's just you know you're hungry and you just you, I never want to get old. You know, I never want to get like an old crusty old whatever. You know, it's like God keep me on fire, keep me fresh, keep me hungry. Uh, you know, just like I was when I was younger. It's like God, I was a fool for Jesus back then. I'll be a fool for Jesus. Now, I'd rather be a fool for Jesus and believe God than to have all this knowledge and be a fossil with yeah. no power. Yeah. Amen. You know? No, that's that's really cool. <laughs> that, that's that's your outlook that you know you don't really you don't really reti- you don't retire from being a Christian. No. You retire. Yeah. Yeah. Christianity has a great retirement program. It's called heaven. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's a mansion there and all that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But that's, you know, that's, so that's, I mean, it's just growing from one thing to the next, growing and growing and ministering and learning by trial and error sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just being hungry for God, pressing in, going into, going to different meetings and things where God's moving to get, get just hungry for God and, you know, Catherine Coleman meetings was a great part of my life, and then Brother Hagen's meetings, and then, you know, others along the way, too. And, you know, just when you're hungry for God and you pursue Him, He just puts you, He just leads you and puts you in the right 
path so that you can have those divine appointments that will add to you to help you on your journey to get to your destiny. Yeah. And I love that. And I definitely like something you mentioned earlier is I I was telling one of our our friends, I was like, it's so weird because I see all those people talking about like false, the false doctrine that they're talking about. And I was like, I feel this fire, like, like in my stomach, almost like just wanting to burst and go, (laughs) you guys are all lying. And like, yeah, I was like, it's, it's the Holy spirit. Just like telling me, like, speak up. And like you said, like, you can't stay quiet. You can't sit down and let them preach these false gospels without doing that. And so I guess one of the questions I'd have for you is for me and for other people listening is how do you do that in love? When it, I guess, when it's infuriating, when you're like, oh, gosh, that is so ridiculous. Let me ask you this. When Jesus went out and made a whip and came in and kicked over the cash registers and knocked (laughs) over all their money and whipped them and chased them out of the temple, was he doing that in love? Yep. Yes, he was. (laughs) You know, when father has to spank his child, is he doing it in love? should be. Some fathers probably have problems, but I mean, you know, so... Love, you know, in America, we got this funky idea about what love is. You know, yep. like it's some kind of, I just feel good about you, and you feel good about me, and let's just be at peace with one another. I ain't love. That's just gooey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love means I want the best for you, and if I have to take you and shake you by your shoulders and say, hey, wake up, you know, you're going to die if you keep taking drugs, or you're going to die if you keep doing this, that's love, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, uh, you know. We have to we have to tell people we have to warn them. If somebody's going over a cliff, the bridge is out. Oh, hey, you know, watch it. There's a bridge out. You know, no, you're gonna be shouting. Stop! Don't go that way. Yep, <laughs> that's true. So, yeah, love. Right? So you know, these people say, "Oh, don't judge me." It's like, first of all, we don't get off on that. That'd be a whole other hour. The the Bible tells us to judge sin and to judge certain things. You know, what yep. we can't. We cannot judge what's in another person's heart. Only God knows that. But we can certainly judge actions. I can tell a person if you're doing drugs, you're going to kill yourself or hurt other people. Yeah. If you're if you're, if you're, you're abused, you know, alcoholic, if you're you know, smoking stuff that's not good for you, you know, you're gonna you're gonna hurt yourself or other people. Yeah. You know. You know. But that's not judging. That's that's not judging your heart. I don't know what's making you do that, but I can tell you what you're doing is wrong, and that's going to have bad consequences. Yep, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I appreciate people like, you know, Sean Foy that's getting out there with these worship, radical worship, and, and just he's preaching it like there's Mario Morello taking a tent in the Bakersfield, California, when, yep. when the, all the officials are saying you can't do that. Tonight's his last night for this tent meeting he's doing this week. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people get saved every night, rushing the altar, healing miracles. You know, and he's preaching a strong word, man. He doesn't he doesn't preach no milk toast gospel. <laughs> yeah. Talking about repent, follow Jesus, make him Lord and you know, get set free from your stuff. Amen. Yeah. We need more of that. Definitely. Yeah. And, and in the end that's the only thing that's gonna deliver people, not the bambi bambi stuff. Yep. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent agree. Hallelujah. <laughs> So sometimes I just want to ask people, you know, when they start giving me their false stuff, it's like, well, how's that working out for you? You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that you know, you got peace in your heart and your conscience is clear and you're, you're, you got victory in your life. How's that working out for you? Yep. If Jesus yeah. said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Yep. I think, I think one of the most interesting things, even with you saying that is there is that guy that I was talking about. Uh, he was preaching saying that, Oh, it's okay to be like all these sins are fine. You're okay to do it. And lightning literally hit his church while he was talking. And he goes, Hey guys, don't take that as judgment from God. And I'm all lightning (laughs) just hit your church. (laughs) Like, I don't know how else to put that, but lightning just hit your church. That seems pretty, pretty, uh, there's your sign. Right. Yeah. If you're going to take that as a sign, like, I to me, I would think, you you know what? I think I need to change this message. <laughs> you would think that would get their attention. 
Yeah. That's like yeah. that one that one politician, I don't know if it was Canada or US, but just I think it was that Canadian election just like last year. This politician was out there outside speaking and said, and if I'm not lying, then God's going to strike me dead and lightning went. He's lying. But yeah. I'm not standing next to him anymore. <laughs> no. Uh, that would be not a good would They don't want to tempt God. <laughs> no. Nope. So but let me tell you that we are in, we are coming, we're bumping up against critical times. We're bumping up against, against end times here. And, and it's time, this, this whole crisis we've been going through with the COVID and then the election and everything else is causing uh, separation. Mm-hmm. A lot of the carnal are peeling off and they're hitting the road. You know, Gideon's army has been out. But there's a core group of people that are believing God and coming together, a core group of intercessors and prayers that, that are going up to another level with God. And it's, it's like the line is being drawn in the sand, you know, and it's like time to get on the side with God because he wants to take us places and do things with us and, and bring us into our destiny. Hallelujah. Yep. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> right. <laughs> I too. This is an awesome time to live in. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like... I think even maybe some of our listeners that might be listening now, if there's nothing to fear with God, nothing, nothing. And so just know that whoever's listening to this, that if you're teetering on, uh, whether you're going to ask God into your life or not, this is, this is your opportunity because if you're driving in your car right now, you might not have that opportunity 10 minutes from now from, or 10 seconds from now. Right. Yeah. Every Amen. counts. And yep. you know, heaven is not just a fire escape. Yep. God doesn't want to just save you from hell. Hell was never even created for men. It was created for the devil. Yeah. God has a destiny and a blueprint for all of us. That's Psalms 139. and says all the days of your life were written in a book before even one of them came into existence. And yet, the Bible says at the end that we'll be judged out of books according to our works. So he's going to match up what we did with what his intentions and his plan was. And so God does have a plan for each of us. But it starts with Jesus. He's the door. When you give your life to him and come into fellowship with God, and, and we, you know, through, through what he did, he takes away the shame and the guilt. You know, we talked about authority. One of the things I talked about in the book is the the necessity of understanding the blood of Jesus, our authority, our righteousness, anything we have from God is not based on how good we are. It's based on what Jesus did and we believe it. And then he does, he changes us from inside out. And so God is patient with us. You know, he works in us. The Bible says that him working in us, causing us to will and do his good pleasure. So he's the author and the finisher of our faith. So when you come to Christ, that's just the beginning of your book being written in this life. He's, he's writing out what he written wrote in heaven. He, you're, you're writing it out on this earth, but it starts the first chapter is when you give your life to Christ. And then yeah. the destiny has, my goodness, beyond what you could ask or think what God will do with you when you trust him and follow him. Yep. 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 Man, <laughs> that's good. That's just so good. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Um, so, so something I didn't tell you that we do on this podcast is that we put our guests on the spot and say, uh, I I feel like this is a good spot to stop in that we, we actually have you pray us out of this podcast. Okay. Well, good. I I would like to just offer this. If there's anybody listening that maybe like I was, you know, searching for God, but in the wrong place. Or maybe you were raised in a church, and, and believe me, there's a lot of people that are raised in a church, and they're no more Christian than if you were born in a barn making in a car, you know? So, you know, the, the thing is, it's not being raised in a church or out of a church. It's not religion. It's do you know Jesus Christ personally, because he is alive. He rose from the dead and is alive and is going to come back soon. But in the meantime, his spirit is here to minister to you, to come into your life. When you say, Jesus, come into my life, that's the Spirit of God will cause you to be born again. 
and to come into the family of God. So Amen. Uh, if there's if there's anybody out there that you, you want to, I don't care if you've been raised in a church or not, but you, you're not even sure if, if there is a God or if you'll go to heaven when you die or whatever, or you think you might go to heaven just because you're not a, you know, a mass murderer or something. That's not the point. The point is we all, we all had sin standing us that we can get into heaven until that was taken care of. And Jesus is the answer. He took care of that. And when you put your faith in him, he forgives you and cleanses you of your past. He brings you into the family and he causes you to become a brand new creature in him. And he begins to then take you on your journey of destiny. And then you will end up one day with, uh, with the rest of us in heaven, in the glory of God. Hallelujah. So uh, let me just say, if, if you want this, you can do a similar prayer to what I prayed that day when I was 16 years old. I vowed my life. So repeat after me. Say, Jesus I believe you are the Son of God, and you came into this earth to save sinners, and you died for my sins and paid the price, and you rose again from the dead on the third day. And so now I ask you, Jesus, you are the Lord, and you are the Lord of my life. Come into my heart. Be my King and my Lord. I give you my life. You are my life. Hallelujah. If you prayed that with me in faith or even anything like that, where you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord, that he's risen from the dead, then even now you are sensing the peace of God that comes into your heart. That means that's the peace of God telling you that he's, he's taken away your guilt and your shame and he's forgiven you and you're part of his family. And so that is the beginning of your destiny being fulfilled in this life. And there's so much more. You need to learn to read the Bible. You need to get into a good church or a place of fellowship where they're going to teach the Word of God, not some manly-family stuff to make you feel good, but teach you what the Bible says to help you grow and become strong. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.